This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. mental workers and welcome back to the podcast. Today I am very excited because we have someone new in our listener story series. They have had an incredible journey over at least 10 years towards their registration and I'm really excited to introduce them to you today. Their name is Rebecca Harris and they're a psychologist working for an Australia-wide telehealth service. Hi Beck. Hi Ron, how are you going? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Excellent. I'm so glad that you could come on today. Me too. Thank you for having me. No worries. My pleasure. One of the things that we're going to touch on today is your journey over the 10 years, but we're also going to touch on the experiences and challenges you've faced working rurally. Is that right? Yes, that's right. It's been quite a journey to get to full registration. Yeah. So Beck is actually one of our listeners of the podcast. And what I've said to Beck is, okay, let's just start in the action with your journey because there is so much ground to cover. And I want to bring you back, Beck, to when you were starting your four plus two internship and then you ended it six months later. What happened? Yes, yes, that's right, Bron. So I started my internship in 2018. I had just completed a graduate diploma in education to work in schools. At that time, that was something that was recommended or needed to be working in schools. And so I went up north to the Pilbara region and started as a psychologist in a few schools up there. Wow. You were told that, okay, I need to do this qualification in order to work in schools. And you thought that this is what I'm going to do. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I had done my Bachelor of Science for three years. I went straight from high school into university. I took a year off, did some traveling, and then went back and did my diploma in psychology as my fourth year. And I think I had another year off as well. So it's been a bit of a journey to some work experience. And then decided, okay, I want to work in the school systems. I quite enjoy working with children and working with families, especially in um, usually lower socioeconomic areas. So what happened when you went up north to the Pilbara? Yeah, so I was all ready to go. I was actually in Southeast Asia at the end of 2017. So I was organizing all of my APRA paperwork and the whole move from Perth up to the Pilbara in the middle of Asia, where one place had one printer in the whole town that I needed access to. So it was definitely a journey, but I was determined. So I got the registration came back from that trip and within a few weeks I was moving up to the Pilbrom. Oh my gosh, that's nuts. When I hear you say that, I'm like, Beck would have needed that printer in the town for like two whole days, just like book it out. Nobody else can use it. This is Beck's time. Yes, as you know, it's a lot of It's a lot of paperwork, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So organizing your move to rural WA from Southeast Asia. Okay, so did that, tick, well done. And then when you got to the Pilbara, can you just set us up with what your expectation was that this was going to be like? Because I'm assuming 
I don't think I've mentioned this, but Beck ended her internship six months later. So there must have been some stuff that went down. So maybe just share with us, what was your expectation of how this would be? Yeah, definitely. So my expectation was to have quite a lot of support and be eased into it. And I did have quite a bit of support, especially from the psychology team, but not so much from some of the school system and some of um, the leadership that's within those schools. And so that was very difficult because as we know, the learning curve from a four-year degree into the plus two is very steep. So I felt not very supported and also quite isolated. That was one of the first times that I have been living rural and there's unique challenges that come with that alone, let alone doing an internship. So I'm just imagining that you're carrying lots of boxes. It's like I'm moving rurally. I'm starting out in my professional career here. I'm wanting this support and yet you feel so isolated. Yes, exactly. And so I gave it a go and tried to be really positive about it and supervisors were pretty great and site team were really great. But it got to a point where I was I was having panic attacks oh, nice. in the car before work and it was taking it was taking a toll and part of it was prior to moving up there, I had had a relationship breakdown and I had had two relatives die all within the space of two to three months. So that was still very raw in that time and to do a big move after those experiences was a challenge. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine how stressful for you. Yes, it was stressful. So I reached out and accessed the employee assistant program that they had, which was really great. And the lady, I still remember, she was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm trying to give it a go. I know it's going to be hard. I know the first six months is a steep learning curve. So I want to keep going and I want to give it a go. And she's like, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should take a pause. So I took that into consideration and I ended up handing in my resignation, which was very difficult to do, especially as they don't send you back. They don't send all of your belongings back to Perth when you have ended a contract. What was that like for you? Because it sounds like your mindset at the time prior to, well, going into the EAP was like, no, I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just giving this a go. I know it's going to be hard. But what was it like to actually be like, you know what? I actually need to put a pause on this. It was tough. I think there was expectations, high expectations from myself and also from others, even if it was just perceived. I guess I had that expectation of, you know, once you start the internship, you complete it. You see it all the way through. And I've known since I was 15 that I've wanted to be a psychologist. So I've known for a very long time that it's a career that I want to be in. So it was it was challenging. And on reflection, I'm very, very proud of myself to be able to have put that pause on it. And it was probably one of the best things I've done career-wise is stopping it. Well, I'm proud of you too, Beck. Yeah, because <laughs> like just hearing you speak, I'm just like, wow, that would have been, you were so isolated, you were under-supported, you were having panic attacks, you just had these stresses going through your life. And to be there and actually be like, okay, I'm just going to have to pause this. It just would have been a huge thing for you. Yeah, 
definitely mm-hmm. was. So I, as I said, ended the contract and I had to get myself from the Pilbara back to Perth. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> so that took a lot of minimizing and getting in my car. And then I was like, I'm going to enjoy this and drive down the coast. I got my partner at the time. So I also um, had a long-term, well, long-distance relationship. Yeah looming at that time as well so there was lots of different factors and we just did a road trip back down to Perth but then I moved back in with my parents which isn't something that I had done for about four or five years there was a lot of a lot of adjusting a lot of reflecting yeah I often think of this internship like it's a test of persistence and resilience because and this is just the start this was the first six months for you right Correct. Oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. So you've already demonstrated a lot of things here, Beck. And I mean, one of the points we want to get across to listeners today is that this journey to registration is not straightforward. No, it's not. As I was saying to you before, Bron, I don't know many people who have completed it in six years straight. And for me, it was 10 years from the first year of university to gaining registration. Yeah, but it's like sold to us in this six-year package, right? It's like you just do this, this, this and this and then you're a psych. Yes. Yeah. It seems much more straightforward when you're told it at university, but life happens as well. And I think that's a lot of um, what's missing when they tell you about the journey of what how to be a psychologist is life happens, whether that's relationship breakdowns, whether that's grief, whether mm. that's children, whatever it may be during those times, especially as it was in my 20s. So very crucial years where there's a lot of things happening and changing. So tell us what happened next. So you you packed up, moved back to Perth. What were some of the next points in your journey? What What happened next? I didn't really know what to do with myself unemployed for a few months, but I had a friend who was going to the Department of Health Information Center and they were holding an evening around their graduate program and he was really interested in it and I was at the stage where I was open to everything and anything, so I said I'll go along. And next thing you know, I'm I'm applying for their graduate program and I get through the group interview And then I get through the single interview. But meanwhile, I'm going through this process. I had a friend that I was working with up in the Pilbara say that there was a job in the Northern Territory that they thought I would be a good fit for. And it was in the disability sector working as a behavior support practitioner. And I thought, okay, my experiences in the schools, even though it was only six months, Mm -hmm. there was a lot around behavior support. This might be something that I'd be interested in. That was brewing as I was going through the Department of Health process. I ended up getting the position. It was in in remote Northern Territory, about three hours south of Darwin. And I take that leap because I was like, oh, you know, by the time I hear that from (laughs) Department of Health, it might be a while. And I I was not set on the outcome, which was very beneficial because I was like, great, if I do, it's okay if I don't because I'm still figuring out where I want to be. And so I remember I was on my lunch break whilst in the middle of this remote town in Northern Territory and I get a call from Department of Health saying that I got into their graduate program. So I had to decide if I was going to go back to Perth and take that or if I was going to continue in remote Northern Territory. Oh, wow. What a dilemma. Like when I hear that, I think that that would have been really hard, but was it easy for you? I think, so I accepted the Department of Health 
job because I knew how competitive it was. I think it was about 400, 500 people that apply and there's about 20 positions. So I knew how valuable that experience would be. But also Sarah was the one that I was living that I was really enjoying. And so that was a tough decision, but I did decide to take the graduate program one. And I still had about a month left in the Northern Territory. And they were really great with it because it was a short-term contract anyway. And so, yeah, I packed up my belongings there and came back to Perth. What's a lesson that you're taking away from this, this stage of your journey? So while I was working remotely, I remember clearly one of my favorite experiences was going out to a client's house with one of the other allied health professionals. And she was like, bring your bathers. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we're working. Why would I bring my bathers? She's like, yeah, afterwards, we're going to go down to the hot spring. So you finish work. And then the next minute, you're in this beautiful hot spring, just swimming around as the sun's setting. And that was really amazing for me that I was doing things outside of work that I could travel and see different places and I could have these amazing experiences. So definitely, I would be recommending that for early career therapists. Okay. Okay. Early career therapists, go get yourself some hot springs. Um, <laughs> make sure you can bring your bathers to work. No, but that sounds blissful. And I mean, like if you work near a city, there's often water nearby or even a pool. It just sounds like something to help you separate from work and distance yourself from that. And something like that really, I guess, resonates and helps you with your stress. Is that what it was for you? Definitely. And it was tough. Again, I was on a steep learning curve with the behavior support role and working within the NDIS. So that was that was challenging in itself, but being able to really push my comfort zone and have a really great work-life balance. I found as soon as I finished, I would be quite social. I picked up hobbies that I wouldn't usually do just because there's not, not much to do sometimes in these places. So you find you just connect and join hobbies that you wouldn't usually be doing in the city because you've usually got your network. You've got your day-to-day activities. It really sounds like a strength of yours, Beck, is this openness to new experiences. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's part of my, my personality and it has got me amazing experiences and lots of skills that I've been able to implement now as a psychologist. Yeah, because it sounds like, let's say you had the alternative mindset and you're like, nope, my journey has to go like this, exactly like this. I need to persist with this internship. It needs to be exactly this way. You wouldn't have had the opportunities that you had if you adopted that mindset, right? Yes, I can. I completely agree with that. And I knew at the back of my mind, I would eventually go back. I would eventually do it. It's been a long-term goal for me, but I stopped putting pressure on it and I stopped putting like a set time. Which I think is amazing because I think implicitly, I'm not sure if anybody says this to us directly, but I do feel that there is an implicit thing that if you're not doing it in a prescribed way, I guess your journey to registration, it must mean that you can't hack it, you're weak, you're not meant for this field. Do you remember some of those thoughts coming up for you or was it just not there for you? Yeah, that was definitely there for me, that those expectations on myself, the pressure on myself, 
because it had been a while for me to even get to the point of starting my internship. I was about four years out from my three-year undergrad by that point. And so <laughs> there was definitely the pressure of you need to keep going. And then what does it mean if I'm not able to continue? Yeah. What does that say about me and those doubts and some of those beliefs coming in, um, those core beliefs of maybe not being good enough? Yeah, no, and I think that's really common amongst all of us. Like we really want to get in this field so we can help other people and we want to be our best selves. Um, so I think it's really admirable that you were able to honour your own health needs and notice what's happening. Definitely. And that's something that I've continued doing now that I'm able to recognise my needs. I'm able to recognise when something is a bit too much and I need to pause and I need space. And it's also helped me know what I don't want when it comes to a workplace. So then I can seek what I do want. And it has been crucial for me to have those experiences where I've recognized those elements that don't fit for me and my values in, in workplace. Yeah, I, I've been the, I've been very similar. I've been like, it's not necessarily I enjoyed the shitty experiences, but I'm <laughs> grateful that they were there because now I know definitely what I don't want. Yes, and sometimes that's the journey. Sometimes it's not straight, well, most of the time, yes. it's not straightforward and we need to have some of those bumps. I kind of imagined it as a road yes. and I'm trying to get to this destination, this elusive destination of becoming a registered psychologist and there's constant obstacles and I'm getting lost and the road's taking me off, but that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so take us back to Department of Health. So you took the internship there and I'm interested to know what helped the most during that internship. Yeah, definitely. So we're looking at early 2019. Yeah. So I was part of the 2019 cohort of graduates and you do three placements across the healthcare system. So it would be the first one I was working in health promotion. The second one I was working in country occupational violence. And the third one I was working at one of the hospitals looking at patient care. So what I found was the diversity of those experiences have really helped me to understand mental health and health on a populational level, not just that individual level. And that's been huge, knowing about some of these policies and strategies and knowing how other health professionals work as well, but also the non-clinical people. So I was, my title was graduate project officer or graduate officer. And so knowing what goes on behind the scenes for our health system to, to work was huge and really, really amazing experience. I imagine that could have gone two ways, like knowing the health system and how it works. Some people could become disillusioned and be like, well, like there's nothing here. The health system is just held together with elastic bands and I can't do anything. <laughs> or it could be like, oh, I can influence change here. Was Which one was it for you? I think it, it did depend on the day. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> yeah, very honest there, but I did see that I could implement change on a greater scale and the importance of a team and importance of the people behind the hospitals and the policies and procedures and things like that. However, by the end of it, I was craving clinical work. Uh -huh. I was craving not really being on a computer or in an office space um, more <laughs> more out and about and so I ended up then resuming 
an internship. Wow. I love I love what you just described there because, again, it speaks to the idea that if you stop, slow down, listen to what your mind is telling you, it's not that this was necessarily a bad experience being behind the computer, like you had great experiences there, but you felt that there was a yearning to also have that face-to-face clinical work. Is that right? Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And in some of my experiences, I did go to hospitals and some across the state and got to see how they functioned. And I was probably more energetic and engaged on those days. And so really taking notice of that, noticing my energy levels, noticing what's influencing it. And so, so grateful for that experience. And I did try and get an internship within <laughs> within the system. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they don't take provisional psychologists. Oh. So I, yeah, I did end up leaving the system. Okay. Yeah. One thing, like this is a side step, but Becca's in WA, which you might have worked out if we were talking about the Pilbara, but I actually thought the Department of Health didn't take non-clinical psychologists in the system. Yes, that's my understanding as oh, well. okay, sure. So, yeah, so I was trying to get, I was trying to be, you know, that that person that can kind of slip by yeah. and get a, it maybe more of a mental health professional role or mental health clinician role with some support or external supervision to then continue my journey and then potentially endorsement um, to be a clinical psychologist within the health system. So, no, I tried. Okay, I was reading for you. I was like, oh, maybe Beck is the exception. Like, maybe I'm wrong. I was actually getting excited. I tried. (laughs) I'm pleased that you tried. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it's a huge shame because obviously, like, you've gained a lot of skills through working in this graduate program, so you would be a huge asset. So I do think it's a shame that they're missing out on your talents. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. But I've been able to take that and I'm still in touch with some of the people that I worked with as well back then. So that's been really nice, that networking. Yeah. So tell us what happened next then. Okay. So you finished your graduate internship. Well done. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Then where did you go next? So you, you're, you're still accruing your hours, right? In the four plus two pathway. Is that right? What had happened was I needed to write to UPRA and say that I was taking a pause and it was only going to be 12 months to begin with, but it ended up being closer to a year and a half, which isn't too bad. And I had those experiences, which have helped me Ah. in the long term. So I, I was looking for internships at the end of the year. So at the end of 2019, and I wasn't going to leave the job until I found something because it was such a great job that if there wasn't going to be something that matched up in terms of the internship, then I was going to stay. So I did a lot of emailing and LinkedIn and a lot of cold calling people. I feel so, <laughs> so I was very resourceful <laughs> in terms of that. Uh, there was actually a Facebook page that was around provisional sites, I think in WA. And there was this amazing spreadsheet that said what organizations were taking provisional psychologists. So I used that as a base and started contacting those people where there's been positive experiences and I ended up getting an interview within the disability space as a provisional psychologist. Fantastic. Yeah. And just speaking to that, I think there was two really important things there. Um, I mean, it differs for everybody else, but one of the things that I noticed is that you stayed in your job until you found another internship. So sometimes people, they might quit their job and then they might 
honestly, it can take so long to get an internship that you might be out of work for a few months. So just pointing that out to listeners that if you're like, okay, I'm going to quit and then get an internship tomorrow, that might not happen for you. Just getting real. I think that's a really good point. But I also know from previously quitting it with not having a job, if you know that it's not worth your mental health and you know that it's not a good fit for you and financially you're able to do that, then okay. But I was at the stage where I was enjoying the job. I was feeling good. And so I chose to stay until I found the internship. So I think that's a good point and it really depends on where you're at. I hear that as well. And I'm I'm pro you, what you are saying as well, because I absolutely wouldn't advocate for listeners. Just hang on there. Like, and if you're feeling <laughs> the crushing weight of humanity and having yeah. panic attacks every day, just keep on going. No, I would yeah. say definitely reach out, seek support. But if you are able to, then you're able to leave that job. And it doesn't mean that you're weak or couldn't hack it or that you're bad or or any of these other judgments. It just means that the workplace wasn't creating a good environment for you to thrive. Yes, exactly. I think that's a good point. Like that thriving and that support, especially so early on in the career is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was one thing that I wanted to point out. And then I can't remember the other thing I wanted to point out about that little interlude there. So maybe we'll go on to the next thing which happened with your journey. Yeah. So I got a position for a community-based and clinic-based company working with people with disabilities as a professional psychologist and a behavior support practitioner. So is this within NDIS? So yeah. 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 So it's NDIS and it was a small company um, south of the river, so south of Perth, and it was great. It was really good, but I could see that steep learning curve was, was beginning again, but I found external supervisors. So that was one of the things the job didn't come with internal supervisors, and that can sometimes be the case when looking for an internship. And I didn't let that deter me because I know that it can be quite rare to find an internship that might suit you or, you know, where you want to go. And so what I did, and this is, I guess, something else for the listeners, when looking for a supervisor for the internship about two years ago, probably would have been like anyone, anyone who is available because I know everyone has great um, experience as supervisors and go through similar training and things like that. But I was at the point where I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to see who's going to fit the area that I'm going to be in and who fits my values and the type of practitioner that I want to be. And that was huge that I I personalized my emails to certain supervisors. I didn't send a generic email through the APRA website and really made an informed decision of what's going to be best for me because I'm also I also get the choice of who my supervisor is going to be and what experience I would like. That's really huge. Yeah, I completely agree with you that that is a big thing because we often are quite desperate for anyone who will supervise. But when you think about it, you're going to be with this supervisor for the four plus two, I think it's like 80 hours of supervision. I think for five plus one might be 60. I can't quite remember the exact numbers. Um, Kind of just blanked it out in my own mind now that I'm past it. I can't even correct you because I've put it away. (laughs) But you've got to be with them for like many hours and you want to make sure that you get that support that's relevant to your role. And like you said as well, a protection a practitioner that fits your values and who you imagine yourself that you're going to be someone you can learn from and actually be a mentor. 
Definitely. And I found that supervisor and then unfortunately she left the country. Oh no. <laughs> but things happen. And yeah, so I started the job and it was also peak COVID. So that was early 2020. I was just building up my caseload and then suddenly everything's online or phone. So I'm trying to build rapport and learn everything and meet these clients and their needs <laughs> over a system that I've never used before. So again, that was a really great experience because now I'm comfortable doing telehealth and phone sessions and in person. How was that with people who are experiencing disabilities who might not have been had the capability to access sessions by telehealth? Yes, that's a that's a very good point. So sometimes it wasn't accessible. And so we weren't able to provide that service or we were mainly, you know, maybe emailing or finding a different method of being able to keep in touch with them during that time because it was very difficult. One other thing I wanted to ask, and I'd love to do a podcast episode on this in the future, because one of the things I noticed with internships with 4 plus 2 or 5 plus 1 is that because of the explosion of the NDIS, it's it's just gotten so big. There are a lot of um, behaviour support practitioner roles for early career psychologists who are doing that internships. But in the undergrad psych degree, we're all about mental illness and we don't actually get taught anything maybe an hour or two about disability. Mm. And I just wondered from your perspective, what was that like for you just going into this whole new world that's not necessarily just mental illness, this is the individual focus? Sorry, that might be a big question. A big question, but that's okay. I'm okay. happy to answer from, from my experiences. Yeah. I, it's a really, really great point because I've also seen that when there's been an advertisement for provisional psych, it's actually mainly the behaviour support yeah. practitioner area rather than the mental health area from the diploma in education and from working in the school system and then also from the NDIS up in the Northern Territory so they were a bit they were ahead in rolling out the NDIS WA still wasn't there yet they were still on the state scheme so I got to experience that yes it was different because it was in another state or territory but I got to experience it firsthand and so having those experiences prepared me pretty well for it. Oh, good. I'm glad to see. And was it quite different to how you imagined? Because I guess with mental illness, we, with people, we do in psychology tend to focus on the individual, whereas sometimes with disability, we need to focus more on a social model and actually assist them in living, I guess, their best lives given the chronic conditions that they're experiencing like did you find any differences there or was it challenging moving outside maybe the traditional psychology models yeah I think it was mainly because I didn't have that original base training and I built it up through my experiences and my additional studies and when working in the school system it is systems-based yeah. anyway and then when you're rural and remote the sense of community and having an involvement from different agencies multiple different people it might not be primary caregiver it might be some other therapist it really helped with that multidisciplinary model and that systems family systems therapy model as well and I enjoyed some aspects of that but then there was also really challenging aspects because you're sometimes trying to get the residential care place on board, plus the support workers, plus the family, plus the other therapists, and trying to get everyone on the same page to really help 
the individual meet their needs and increase their quality of life. So definitely some challenges. Wow, that sounds so difficult. It sounds like you're playing like international relations in a way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that stood out for me just then, I was like, ah, this is speaking to Beck's transferable skills because you've had such a diversity of experiences with the hospital, with the graduate program, and you've seen those systems with the school system and you've seen the systems in place and you've had a bit of experience prior to going into this um, behaviour support practitioner role. It sounds like that really, I guess you weren't studying from just level 0.1 in a way. No, exactly. I was maybe 0.2. Yeah. <laughs> maybe 0.3. I give myself yeah. a bit more credit. But yeah, it really shows that even when you're not in the clinical space during this journey, whether it's volunteering or taking a job that's not directly related to psychology, on how beneficial the skills and experiences are in then helping you as a practitioner or helping you where you want to be or whatever it may be it's very transferable so I'd say resiliency and being quite innovative from my rural and remote experiences it's not textbook I know it rarely is but it's especially not textbook when you go further out of the cities for multiple reasons so you really have to think on your on your feet and you really have to be quite innovative and the importance of relationships Mm. and rapport building is huge and that's such a big element especially when you're looking at the system work also individual so that that just grew exponentially for me from those experiences. I'm so glad for you as soon as you said rapport building I was just like yes that is such a huge skill such an important one for early career psychologists to have. Um, I remember when I was doing my I worked at a private hospital with older adults and very early on I learned how to build rapport very quickly with older adults and that was through making mistakes. I did have one older adult say to me don't be patronizing and I was like oh okay (laughs) yep change how I do things there Um, (laughs) but it is such an essential skill like like learning how to communicate well with all sorts of different folk. Yes, definitely. And the that's the thing. I've worked across the lifespan from four to older adults and with people from all different walks of life and different cultural backgrounds. And I feel that now it's quite easy for me to build a rapport with people in general and especially in the therapy room. Yeah, no, amazing. And just a shout out to listeners as well. Like Beck is articulating her transferable skills very well. I feel like you're doing a great job. But guys, if you don't know what transferable skills you have from your roles, ask your supervisors, get somebody else to help you pick them out. Because sometimes it's hard. I don't know if you agree with this, Beck. It's hard to realize in the moment, what am I getting out of this? Yes, yes, definitely. When I was in the graduate program for Department of Health, I didn't realize that assertiveness was something that I needed to improve on. Uh. And I did through a a tricky situation that occurred. And now I'm really confident in my decisions and I'm really confident to be able to put in boundaries and assert my needs, whether it's within the therapy space or outside of it. And that's, that's huge. It's like, that's not something, you know, to sneeze about because it's just like, it is a really huge skill for practitioners to be able to put in boundaries to protect themselves, but also be their best selves for their clients as well. Yeah. So Beck, let's get back to it. What happened next? So you're in this um, disability role um, and now you're accruing your four plus two hours. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So that's the 3000 hours. 
<laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Lots of experience. And it was really great for me because unfortunately with the pandemic, it stopped a lot of things. But for me, it forced, not forced, but I didn't have a choice to, you know, maybe in, in the past I would have taken time off to go traveling a bit more or I would have maybe taken an interstate opportunity. And that was great in my early 20s, but it made me focus on, you know, this is what I want. It's going to get hard. Sit with it. There's actually nothing else that you could be doing right now. <laughs> Nothing's happening in the world. You're in lockdown. And that was actually amazing for me and really helped me get through that internship. And I completed it within the two years. I think it was maybe just um, a month off, including the six months. So I got those six months approved. Oh, good. And I'd highly recommend that if anyone pauses their internship and is able to and was on top of most of their requirements in the first six months. So that was great to get that approved during that time. Yeah, no, good. And was that difficult for you? Did you feel like you had to advocate advocate for yourself with opera or? No, it was pretty good. Great. So it was, I think I had to just resubmit a progress report, say again why I had the pause, why it was a little bit longer than expected and went to, I think I went to a review board and they approved it. Fantastic. That's great because sometimes I do hear stories of, hellish stories of people not being able to get it through. But it sounds like make sure you're on top of your record keeping, make sure you're on top of your reports and do follow up with APRA. Don't just be like, oh, they're not going to do it. Yes, definitely follow up. And I was on top of supervision. I think I was even in credit with some supervision. I hadn't done any case reports, but I didn't comment in the early stages. And so very fortunate they approved it. And also with my general registration, two-day turnaround, which is, unheard of that's it was, nuts <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> what, what year was that mine was in April 2020 and I think mine was a seven-day turnaround and I was like this is incredible mine was September 2021 it was ah. my birthday that weekend I don't know I want to say that they fast-tracked it to be like <laughs> happy birthday and it's been 10 years let's just get this through look let's go with that they totally saw your birthday and they were like let's give Beck a great birthday present yeah Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, so you did the internship in in like two years, which is like no no main feat. Like it's pretty amazing. You would have been working very hard. It was tough. Yeah. I mainly did four days, which I would obviously everyone's different, but I would highly recommend having a day where you're able to do supervision and the internship requirements. So that was the day that I went and saw my supervisor and we would do the assessments and case reports. So that helped with the balance. It was still grueling, but having that extra day was beneficial. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I do want to emphasize to listeners, like if your employer is somehow implicitly communicating like, it's not good enough that you're not doing five days. Guys, the requirements of the four plus two of the five plus one, they are so onerous. Like you actually need that additional time so you can do your logs, so you can do your case studies, so you can learn how to be a psychologist, right? <laughs> yes, I agree. And then having that time to reflect. Yeah. Well. And you do that with the reflections, but just that space to be like, how did I grow today? 
I 100% agree. And I love that. It's so important to make sure that you have that reflective space because in one way, it's like if we were just seeing people, let's say you had, you saw six people in a day and they're just telling you some heavy stuff. Um, you might have time to process between each of those people and go home, tell your friends about what you what you heard today and how hard it was. With a psychologist, it's like you go in one hour, somebody tell you some heavy stuff, okay, five minute break to go pee and then next hour, more heavy stuff. And you might not actually have that reflective space to just take in everything. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's so important. And I was, I was doing four to five a day and that, that was a lot yeah, early that is. on. And so I would, yeah, also be recommending three to four. Yeah, <laughs> uh, me too. 100%. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at my, at my placement, the expectation was six and that was burnout central. Mm-hmm. That's I can't do six even today. <laughs> yeah, no, it's same. I try and do it, but then I do, I can do it for like maybe two or three weeks and then I'm like, no. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I feel like I feel like we're glossing over this two years, but it's just like, okay, so you had the two year internship and then you got registered registered in two days. Yes, that's wow. right. And then dabbled in subcontractor work. So that's what I've been doing since then. Wow. So Looking back on it now, what you've just shared with us and the listeners, is there anything that stands out for you as important or something you want to get across to listeners? Yeah, definitely. I think there's two things. So the first would be keeping an open mind. So if you see a job that outside the city or in an area that you're only a little bit interested in, whether it's you know, maybe working with a cohort that you aren't too sure about, then but you're interested in, then try it. So find out more about it, maybe network with some people that are in that job and in that workplace and then do it, especially if it's rural or remote, even if it's short term. So for that, like when you say networking with people who are already in the job, would you recommend that, say, listeners just send a quick email to something and be like, hey, can I talk to you about the job? Or would you recommend another way? I would recommend LinkedIn. Okay, That's a yeah. great source. But also the email. I did that with <laughs> I did that with a few jobs and a few supervisors and things like that. And most people are really receptive and want to share their experience and want to help early career therapists. Great. What's something else that you want to share with listeners just looking back on your own journey? Yeah, the other one would be letting go of pressure. I think a lot of my initial experience with the internship, yes, I had had some life events that were complicated and there was a lot of grief there, but I also had a lot of internal pressure on myself and high expectations. And I think that is quite common in this field. The almost unre- I personally had unrelenting standards. And so once I let go of that, so once I paused, came back to Perth and was just really open with where the journey is going to go and where it's going to take me, that's when a lot of opportunities also showed and I let go of how long it would take me. I remember being first year of university and I said to myself, I'll get my PhD by 24. <laughs> I wasn't even a registered psychologist by 24 and that's okay. I'm sorry I laughed. I was like, that's rude, but it's just very ambitious. I was done. I was like seven years straight. Like, yeah. 
well, more, almost eight years straight, let's do it. Yeah. But that, was, that wasn't practical for me. For some people, maybe, but laughing on it now and just going, it's okay. I got there. And what is there? Where is the end? It's not really the end. It's the beginning of the, of your career and of the journey. Yeah. No, that's such a helpful mindset and way of looking about it because earlier in the episode, we did talk about the alternative is just to put so much pressure on yourself and that stress compounds the difficulties that we can have in actually becoming a psychologist. So if we're like, it has to be this way, or I have to finish with this time frame, like why do it? It just, it just doesn't help. It doesn't motivate you to take productive action. You're already doing the best you can. Yeah. It doesn't add anything. It almost takes. Yeah. One thing that I'm really curious about is I'm curious what helped you most during your registration. So sometimes when I ask people this question, they might say running 10Ks a day or like my partner or my dog. Was there anything that stood out to you as the things that just really helped the most get through this? Yeah, I think exercise was a big one. So when I was living in the Pilbara and also in the NT, I got into CrossFit and the gym and really great and we know the evidence behind it and we know the benefit to help so exercise is a big one these days for me it's yoga and hiking so more nature-based and a lot of breath work and meditation so just making sure there's self-care activities and things outside of work that people are doing to fill their cup up yeah no I think that's a really good point because it's it's so hard to do this without having those ways of getting some distance from the work. Yeah. Beck, it's been amazing to talk with you. I just wanted to ask, is there anything that we haven't covered so far that you wanted to give a voice to? I think the only other thing would be very early on, and even now I've got lots of areas of interest within psychology. It's so broad. There's so many populations. There's so many areas you can work in. And I've had some of those experiences of not-for-profit, government, community-based, clinic-based, and I still don't know exactly where I want to be or who I want to work with. And also knowing that's okay. I think sometimes we, well, I've personally felt pressured to to specialize, but I've got so many areas of interest that I'm dipping my toe in different things. And it's going to maybe take me a little while, if at all, to figure out who I really want to be working with in what capacity and where and some of those questions. And that's okay. I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. And then I'm just finding extra things that help with that. So at the moment, I'm doing a Master of Sexology. Oh, I'm, I'm doing a grad in sexology. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So good. I started that last semester because I'm interested in that area and sexological issues and things like that. Oh, that's so, so cool. It's so, so I thought, why not? Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And it's like, best case I well I don't even know what the best case is I'm just gonna learn and absorb everything that it's bringing me because it's very enjoyable and if I specialize in that area great if I don't that's okay I'm sure I'm gonna be taking something from it that I can still use (laughs) wow so maybe this is like a case study of us (laughs) together because like I agree with everything you're saying it's like I've felt pressure to niche and by the way listeners I've got an episode on this to niche or not to niche where I talked about how many interests you have and how there's such a pressure to niche and if you start contracting sometimes your employer 
will actually say to you like, oh, I hope you work out how to niche and I've done all the activities, I've worked yeah. through it and I still come out like none the wiser. I'm like, nope, it's still everything. <laughs> yes, I had that exact experience. Yeah. <laughs> so like when people ask me what my niche is, I'm like, ah, oh, anxiety, depression, trauma, like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of do the same and then I'm like across the lifespan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I... What 100% agree with that, guys. If you're feeling pressured to niche, like it can take like 10 years again to work out what you might be interested in. And, and I think that's a wonderful thing about psychology that there is so much to learn. It's like both overwhelming, but also a really cool aspect of our profession. Yes, I love that. So broad, so many areas that I just want to keep learning more about and keep having those experiences and we'll see where it it takes me yeah and if you don't know what to nation guys from beck and i it seems like do a do a master's <laughs> in sexology there you go yes yeah. <laughs> it's a go-to yeah. why not so interesting <laughs> yeah it's super interesting i had a great time last semester doing it yeah i'm loving it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much it's been so lovely to talk with you and thank you so much for sharing all of the things you've shared with our listeners. I think it will benefit them greatly to hear that. Guys, it's not, even though it's sold to us as a six-year journey, it it often, for the vast majority of people, takes much longer. Life happens. It's a difficult journey. Um, be open to experiences and it's okay not to know what you want to do next. Exactly. Thanks so much for having me, Bron. No worries. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening, and I will catch you next time. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press follow on your podcast listening app. If you want to show us some love, consider sharing the episode with a friend or giving us a five-star rating and review in your podcast app. If you want to show us some extra love, join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash mentalworkpodcast. This really helps to keep the podcast alive. Want to keep the conversation going? Have a cool idea for an episode or just want to say hi? Send me an email or join the Facebook page by clicking on the links in the show description. See you next time.